Well, it is, uh, it's just always an honor to, to be at the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. Uh, as Philip said, I had the privilege to be here several times. Always uh, humbled to be here with such uh, you know, stalwarts of the faith and the prophetic uh, world. Uh, but I'm also a little bit you know, nervous about coming here because uh, it seems like more so than any place I speak, the, the, there's spiritual warfare associated whenever I come to this conference. I don't know what it is. You know, uh, two years ago, I was here, and in the middle of uh, one of my messages, uh, I don't know if you, any of you were here, but the, the hotel fire alarm went off right in the middle of the message. And by the way, it was right when I was given the gospel. And then last year, my first of the two Spirit of the Antichrist books had just come out, and I was speaking the week end before Tulsa at another conference about that subject, Spirit of the Antichrist. And then we were to leave, uh, that was on a Saturday, I believe, and then we were to leave on that Wednesday to start our drive up here for Tulsa. Well, in the middle of my message at that conference the weekend before, I had an acute attack of appendicitis, ended up in emergency surgery that night, and ended up last year not being able to make the trip because of that, because I ended up having complications and went back into the hospital. I was actually going to come, come what may. I was not going to miss uh, the Mid-America Conference, but my wife uh, had a thing or two to say about that. She said, no, nah, I think you're going to stay here. And uh, so anyway, Philip graciously let me uh, send my videos in, my two messages by video last week. So appreciate your graciousness and patience there. But so glad uh, to be back with you. But yet, you know, uh, always a little cautious about what, uh, and, you know, and they've already started because yesterday after we got set up, went out to uh, dinner with the family, had a flat tire in the rental car right here in Tulsa. So, you know, the devil just doesn't uh, like us, uh, uh, you know, telling the truth about him and proclaiming uh, the, 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 the gospel. So I love the theme of this year's conference. The minute I heard about it, uh, I've just been excited about uh, my messages and listening to all the other speakers as well. Winds of change and the God uh, who does not uh, change. You know, change is happening so fast, it's becoming harder and harder to keep up. Uh, and it has people really freaked out, stressed out, really concerned. Anxiety disorders are at an all-time high because nobody likes change instinctively. In fact, Mark Twain famously said, uh, the only one who likes change is a wet baby. Well, that may be true, uh, but I want to suggest a different metaphor as I've been thinking about my messages for today and tomorrow. You know, my wife and I have raised uh, six children, and I can tell you from firsthand experience that a life is uh, like a diaper. The world is like a diaper. Uh, uh, when things start to stink, you know it's time for a change, and that's uh, you know, I don't know if you've taken a deep whiff lately in the world around us, but things are really starting to stink. I mean, there's some serious things uh, happening, but for believers who accept the Word of God as the only standard for our uh, beliefs, uh, this means that the stage is being set for Christ's return when He comes back and, and, and brings about uh, real change, you know, when He makes all things new. Uh, but there's going to be some tough times uh, before that. Much of the information that I'm going to share in this afternoon's message comes from uh, chapters 1 and 2 of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. I'll say more about that a little bit later on. Uh, but in this uh, session, I'd like to examine uh, the role of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum in ushering in a one-world political, religious, and economic system. I want to address issues such as the central bank digital currencies, biometric surveillance, and the coming full-spectrum planetary control, and show how they are setting the stage for 
the rise of the Antichrist. So if you go back to November of 2020 during the height of the pandemic, uh, Time and many other mainstream controlled news organizations was touting uh, what uh, has been called the Great Reset. That's what the World Economic Forum and then Prince Charles and others were using as a phrase to talk about the change that was coming. Uh, so the Luciferians that are the ones pulling the strings and have been conspiring with Satan himself to bring about this one world system for 6,000 years, by the way, uh, really believe they are on the cusp of ushering in this final one world uh, system. In fact, major news outlets and key world figures are suggesting that we start using B.C. before COVID and A.C. after COVID to reckon time. Here's the New York Times uh, making that argument. Uh, here's uh, the U.K.'s Financial Times making uh, the same argument. You know, sometimes events happen so fast that their effects are upon us before we even realize what's hit us. And when the changes are evil, nefarious, and dangerous, the results of not paying attention to what's happening in plain sight can be disastrous. Yet for those who are paying attention, there are always signals that alert us to the pending change. And the World Economic Forum has been trumpeting what they hope uh, to be ushering in uh, loud and clear. Uh, you know, the, the, the volume of wealth that Schwab and his organization control globally is unfathomable. Of course, Schwab founded first what was called the European Management Forum in 1971. It later became the World Economic Forum. And they've been pushing what they call the Great Reset. And this did not come about, by the way, as a reaction to COVID, the way they might lead you to believe or the way some people assume. It was already well underway and well publicized even before COVID. If you go back and look at the archives of the, uh, the websites, which you can do, uh, you'll find that they already were rolling out this type of terminology and these types of ideas uh, well before COVID. They just went in and changed uh, all of the uh, nomenclature to make it seem like this was a reaction uh, to COVID, but it was uh, pre-planned. Chapter 9 in my book, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, is the biggest chapter, 50 pages in which we uh, clearly demonstrate with, I think, 15 or 20 smoking gun evidences that the pandemic was pre-planned and part of uh, the Luciferian agenda. It's undeniable now. Um, but I believe this massive, comprehensive global agenda, which has the World Economic Forum kind of at the tip of the spear currently, it's being sponsored by others like uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundations, George Soros, and many other entities. But I believe it constitutes the Luciferian endgame. And the Great Reset is really the Great Satanic Reset. And that's what I've titled this uh, presentation this afternoon. The man behind the World Economic Forum, of course, is Klaus Schwab. Uh, he was born in Ravensburg, Germany in 1938, 45 miles south of Berlin and 100 miles north of Davos, Switzerland. He was a child of Adolf Hitler's Germany, a police state regime that was, of course, built on fear and violence. The Nazis, Nazi regime was built on brainwashing and control, propaganda, lies, eugenics, dehumanization, disinfection, as they called it, a chilling and grandiose version of a new world that would last a thousand years in their view. So he grew up in that environment and he's in his 80s now and he really has a sense of urgency uh, that this is going to be ushered in during his lifetime. He dedicated his life to reinventing Hitler's dystopian nightmare and trying to turn it into a reality not just for Germany but for the entire world. And his own words confirm time and time again as we're going to see this morning. Uh, his twisted, satanic, transhumanist vision, 
or this afternoon I should say, tomorrow morning I'm going to be talking in depth about artificial intelligence and transhumanism. You don't want to miss that presentation. But uh, he's talking about merging humans with machines and this curious mix of digital and analog life that will uh, infect our bodies. He's talking about with smart dust. Uh, the police will be able to read our uh, brains. He likes to appear in special occasions in his galactic garb like you see on the screen there, especially when making big announcements. Uh, he's the front man right now in the driver's seat at Mission Control, you might say, which is kind of appropriate given the way he likes to dress, I guess, uh, for the Luciferian agenda. Uh, unsurprisingly, he is connected to a host of other uh, co-conspirators in this uh, attempt to usher in a one-world system, men like Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Gates, who became a fixture at the World Economic Forum starting in 1996, people like David Rockefeller, Al Gore, John Kerry, uh, people like Yuval Noah Harari. I'm going to talk about uh, Yuval Noah Harari uh, a little bit this afternoon and then in great detail and show you some stunning clips uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, but what most people don't tell you is that the list of World Economic Forum collaborators and Schwab cronies, as I like to call them, also includes a bunch of Republicans. You know, it's easy for us to boo and hiss at these pictures on the screen, but what about Trump and his frequent connections to the World Economic Forum, or Bibi Netanyahu, or George W. Bush, and the list goes on. And by the way, with the exception of David, David Rockefeller, every one of those uh, folks that I just showed on the screen uh, is still living. And yes, I'm aware Jeffrey Epstein was pictured on the screen, but anyway, that's a discussion for another day. Um, <laughs> So if you go to the World Economic Forum's, one of their biggest books that came out uh, two books ago by Schwab, they clearly outline what they believe are the five pillars of civilization that need to be restructured. And these include a technological reset, a societal reset, an economic reset, an environmental reset, and a geopolitical reset. By now, everyone's familiar with uh, one of the eight uh, predictions of what the world will be like in 2030 that the World Economic Forum put out, such as, number one, you'll own nothing and be uh, happy about it. And that's because commodities that are owned cannot be owners themselves. And as we're going to see, they view us as commodities to be owned and experimented upon, like rats in a laboratory. For example, Schwab says, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. He said at the time of writing, talking about his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal, and the short answer is, the short response is, never. He said the world as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more dissolved in the context of the pandemic. Interestingly, one of the major mouthpieces early on uh, in the early days of the pandemic uh, for the Great Reset was then Prince Charles, now King Charles III. And on January 11, 2021, he launched his initiative called Terra Carta, or Earth Charter. You know, the climate change hoax is an enormous facet of the Great Satanic Reset. It's being used as a pretext to roll out all sorts of uh, draconian measures and aspects of the coming one world system. But this 17-page document called Terra Carta proposes a climate recovery plan that asserts the, quote, fundamental rights and values of nature. Terra Carta is a name that he chose intentionally 
as sort of a, a nod to the famous early 13th century Magna Carta, which serves as the basis for British common law, as well as the basis undergirding the concepts of the U.S. Constitution. Now, the premise of the Magna Carta, as you may recall, is that human beings have inalienable God-given rights. The premise of King Charles's Terra Carta is that nature, likewise, has fundamental inalienable rights. Well, there's one problem with the Terra Carta, and that is nature has no fundamental rights. Human beings made in the image of God do. But you see, the Luciferians firmly believe that you and I are no different than a tree, a plant, a fish, a dog, a cat. We're expendable. We can be experimented on. We have no fundamental rights. So the Terra Carta is really a, a, a Luciferian document uh, to its core. It's, it, it, along with all of the other uh, you know, World Economic Forum, Great Reset Initiatives, and Global uh, Climate Summit, you know, Climate Change Initiatives, are all trying to basically dehumanize humanity and make humanity nothing more than a disposable biological organism like weeds or fleas. In his next book that came out last year, uh, just now really beginning to get a little bit of traction, I uh, was talking about this the, the very month that it came out and highlighting some of the devastating things that he says in The Great Narrative, Schwab's sequel to The Great Reset. Uh, but he says in this 2022 book things like, the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. I mean, again, they're telegraphing this. By the way, all of these quotes and things that you see on my presentations today and tomorrow are all uh, in the book as well as much, much more. But I'm just kind of highlighting a few things. He says, for example, the Great Reset will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies and societies, as well as in the institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. Our life habits and modes of consumption will also need to change drastically. Disruption is coming. It will be both good for them and bad for us and major. They're making no bones about it. New technology challenges our beliefs, morals, religions, and politics at their very core. I mean, think about each one of those words. You know, it goes back to the garden, as I'm going to talk about tomorrow, uh, and Satan's M.O. that he used in the garden. He's, he's immoral. Uh, you know, there's no national sovereignty. Politics have changed. We need a one-world system. How are they going to do this? Well, they actually come right out and tell us one of their key weapons is going to be lies. He says, nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. That is to say, developing stories that are both pertinent and convincing to others. Lies. We've got to lie. We've got to come up with narratives and stories that will convince people to jump on board the great satanic reset. He said, this is the best way to motivate those with whom we interact socially, politically, and economically, and to move the agenda forward. He says, it, this new golden age, would require major institutional innovations, among them a supranational institution, read one world government, to regulate finance at the global level. And if you, uh, if you stop and, and just do a quick search for 
you know, what they call Davos men and Davos women, which the tentacles of the World Economic Forum run deep on both sides of the aisle. And major mainstream networks like Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and others are constantly touting these Davos men and Davos women as mouthpieces of this coming reset. And they may not always use the word the Great Reset, but if you do the research, you'll find out that's exactly what they are uh, promoting. You know, they do it a little more subtly on some channels than others, but it's, uh, but it's there. Um, so before we go deeper down the rabbit hole here, let's take a look at where this global one-world satanic system fits in God's plan of the ages. Well, it's all part of an old enemy, which is part of the subtitle of this message. And that enemy is Lucifer himself. Isaiah, the prophet, talks about how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken to the nations. Now, we, this is an audience that is filled with good, solid Bible students. So some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, in the context, that's talking about king of Babylon. Well, that's true, but it's widely regarded as an allusion to the fall of Satan. And even if you don't believe that theologically, that's fine. What you need to understand is that the Satan worshipers themselves think of it in that way, and they call themselves Luciferians, which is why throughout my two-volume set, I expose the Luciferian conspiracy, which is a conspiracy involving Satan, human accomplices, and his evil spirits working together to try to usher in a one-world system in which they throw off, as David says in Psalm 2, the shackles of God's control and take over this world for themselves. So certainly the Luciferians see Lucifer as referring to Satan, whom they believe is the hero. You know, God drew first blood, so to speak, and Satan is the victim. And that's why they dedicate their books to Satan. For example, uh, Saul Alinsky, uh, you know, who served uh, in President Obama's uh, administration as a key advisor, uh, or I'm sorry, he influenced President Obama when he ran for president. And in fact, Obama credits him as being one of his major mentors. But he, uh, he dedicated his book, Rules for Radicals. Remember, that was a big talk back in 2008, 2012 during the Obama campaigns. A lot of conservatives were saying he was just using this, uh, you know, this techniques that were taught in that book, which he was. But that all came from Saul Alinsky. And in the uh, you know, beginning, the epigraph to that book, he dedicates it to none other than Lucifer. He says, lest we forget an at least over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all of our legends and mythology, and by the way, he inserts parenthetically, who's to say where mythology leaves off and history begins? In other words, history is all just one big made-up lie, and it is, by the way, in many cases, the, the Luciferians own the textbook industries. Uh, but he says, who's to say which is which? But let's not forget, you know, this uh, first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, and that is Lucifer. Saul Alinsky dedicating his book to Lucifer. This is the same Saul Alinsky who told uh, Playboy magazine shortly before his death in an interview that he, quote, couldn't wait to get to hell because they're my kind of people. I, that's a paraphrase. I've got the exact quote in the book. I, could, I didn't take the time to look it up, but that's essentially what he said. Almost, almost an exact quote. By the way, that was about 18 years before Donald Trump appeared on the cover of Playboy magazine with his good friend, uh, at the request of his good friend Hugh Hefner. But you go back to Isaiah, and of course the famous five I wills of Satan. Uh, notice the last one, I will be like the most high God. Satan wants to be God. That's his goal. He, he attempted a coup in heaven that was quickly rebuffed. 
And then he led a rebellion involving one-third of the angels, and he set his sights on the earth ever since then, specifically, by the way, on you and me, the highest pinnacle of creation, the only created being to which God said, I've made you in my image. And that's why Satan is attacking mankind. We're going to talk tomorrow about the depopulation agenda and why that's such a key uh, part of it. But it's not going to end well for Lucifer. As Isaiah goes on to say, he will be brought down to Sheol, uh, Ezekiel, in the parallel passage, uh, using a clear metaphor for Satan here. There really is no exegetical argument that this is definitely a Satan because we see the shift uh, in verse 11. The first 10 verses of Ezekiel are talking about, you know, the prince uh, of Tyre, and then it shifts to the king. Uh, some translations in the, in the first 10 verses talk about the ruler or the leader, but this is, you know, definitely the king in this uh, case. And, uh, and so he's describing Satan, and he says, you know, you were full of wisdom and perfection. You were in Eden. I mean, there can be no question here. This is what he's talking about. Uh, you were a cherub. That doesn't describe an earthly king. There's no connection between a man and a cherub. They're two different created classes. Uh, so this is clearly talking about Satan until iniquity was found in you. And so I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I cast you to the ground, he goes on to say. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. I love reminding Satan about that. And I believe Jesus Christ, when the, the 70 that he had sent out returned, and he, Jesus makes the statement, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I believe that's referring back to this, you know, t this initial fall of Satan. I know some commentators try to make it proleptic and looking forward to his ultimate defeat. I don't think so. I think uh, Satan, Jesus is talking about Satan's original fall, and he was defeated back then. You go back to Genesis 3.15, God uh, guaranteed it. So Satan's just reminding the disciples and us by extension that, I mean, Jesus is just reminding us that Satan has been uh, defeated. And so we get to Genesis 3, and we see the battle begins. You know, God talking to the serpent says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Notice the capital S. That's a reference ultimately to Christ. Uh, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Satan did inflict a wound, but it was not permanent. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave when he rose from the dead on the third day. And uh, someday he's going to crush Satan's uh, head. You know, there are certain parts of the body that, you know, you could be injured at, and it's, it's other than a, maybe an annoyance, it's not going to be that big a deal, you know. Uh, you know, you stub your toe or, you know, bump your heel, it might hurt, and it's definitely noticeable, but it's not going to kill you. But you crush somebody's head, they're, they're done for. And so, a new world and an old enemy is what we're talking about this morning. It's important to note that Satan is not, I mean, this afternoon, it's important to note that, uh, by the way, I was fired up and ready to go. I was wishing I was first out of the chute this morning. I, that's why I keep thinking of it as morning. I've been ready to go all day. But uh, anyway, uh, it's important to note that Satan's not alone in his quest to defeat God. He and his evil human, he has evil spirits and human accomplices at his disposal. So this is what I call the Luciferian conspiracy. The first two or three chapters of volume one, I outline this in much greater detail, both biblically and in terms of the human accomplices. But let's talk about the evil spirits first. Satan's uh, what I call celestial accomplices, you know, the, the evil spirits in the unseen realm that he has at his 
disposal. And, and these spirits have fascinated theologians and Bible students for centuries. We love to debate and discuss and categorize, you know, questions like how many demons can dance on the head of a pen, to turn a phrase. And this is indeed an important and highly relevant topic uh, as this cosmic battle heats up the closer we get to the end of the age. And so I want to walk us through just a few quick passages that uh, highlight the spiritual aspect of this conspiracy. Uh, you know, uh, in the book of Ephesians, we see a recurring theme about spiritual warfare. And if you connect the dots with Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians, which he, of course, wrote during his first Roman imprisonment, roughly 60 to 62, uh, but you read the book of Acts when Paul was in Ephesus in Acts 19, and you see, wow, there was a lot of weird demonic and, and spiritual warfare type activity going on there. So it's no surprise that Paul would emphasize this in his letter uh, back to them. So we start out in chapter 1, and Paul reminds us that uh, he says, uh, Christ is seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. So right off the bat, we need to understand that we're on the side of the, on the, side of the victor, that Jesus Christ has defeated death, hell, and the grave. He is more powerful than Satan's evil, uh, you know, co-conspirators. Uh, now, God has not yet put everything under his feet. Christ is at the throne and waiting today, the throne at the right hand of God, waiting to come back. Uh, but that's all just part of God's uh, timetable. You go to chapter 2, uh, and he refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. There is a spiritual battle raging, and the uh, point that I make in the book and one of the premises of the two-volume set is that when things are heating up on earth, and there can be no doubt they are, I mean just the last three years alone we've used the word unprecedented an unprecedented number of times, right? I mean there's a lot going on, right? When things are heating up on the earth that means they're heating up in the heavenlies. And what we're seeing, as I talk about in chapters 9 and 10 of volume 2, is spilling, a, a spilling over of the spiritual activity in the unseen realm into the realm of time, space, and matter. It's no accident that after seven decades of the government denying any you know, research or documentation into the UFO phenomena, even though ufologists and people who have studied this like I have for 15 years, you know, there are thousands of pages of documentation of this whole buildings of government, you know, agencies that they were investigating this ever since the dawn of the modern UFO era in 1947. Uh, you know, in spite of that, they said, oh, there's nothing to see here. All of a sudden, ever since the December 16, 2017 New York Times article that sort of broke the story wide open, we've seen nothing but issues related to UAPs and UFOs. And we've had the first open hearings, uh, public hearings on them in over 50 years. We've got subcommittees talking about them. I interviewed a guy that was part of the Space Force who admitted to me that uh, that's the reason they established the Space Force is to deal with these unidentified, uh, what they now call, used to call aerial phenomena, now they're called anomalous phenomena because they're finding they're all over the place. They're on the ground, they're in the sea, they're in the air, they're not just aerial. And they wanted to know, they, they, they don't know what's going on. You know, you've seen the footage of it. We all have. We've got six years now of mainstream coverage. Uh, of course, those of us that have been studying this forever, this is nothing new. We're just glad to see that they're finally taking it uh, serious. Well, that's just one example among many of the manifestations of this spiritual battle. Never forget, the battle ultimately started in the heavens. It started with Satan, Lucifer, trying to take control of heaven. Now he's got his crosshair set right on the earth. 
and the, devil, the earth is the devil's playground. Chapter 3, we see that one of the purposes of, of the church age, by the way, is to demonstrate the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Do you realize God wants us to be sort of an in-your-face to Satan and all his minions? wonder how good a job we're doing at that uh, these days. Uh, of course, the famous chapter 6, uh, telling us explicitly that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness uh, in the heavenly places. So my, uh, the premise for my two-volume set really comes from 1 John. First of all, verse 2.18, that reminds us, even though one Antichrist, capital A, is coming, right now many Antichrists, little a, have already come. That was 2,000 years ago. 1 John 4.3 tells us the spirit of that future Antichrist is already at work in the world. And I believe the closer we get to the end of the age and the return of the Lord, first at the rapture to rescue the church before the great and terrible day of the Lord's wrath, and ultimately at the second coming at the battle of Armageddon with the church to usher in the long-awaited kingdom of peace, righteousness, and justice. I believe the closer we get to the end times, which is a general term that refers to all of that, starting with the rapture, the more we're going to see that spirit of the Antichrist have a huge upsurge. And indeed, that's what we're seeing. Now, I'm not here to set dates. We don't believe in that as dispensational pre-tribulationists. Uh, but we certainly do want to heed the words of the Lord uh, in watching the signs of the times, Matthew 16. And you'd have to be living under a rock not to realize that by every measure, the stage is being set for the return of the Lord. Uh, that's why I believe the dawn of the modern UFO era started in 1947. See, Satan's not omniscient. And he knew coming out of World War II, there was all this talk about the nation of Israel becoming a nation again. And Satan knows the Bible. He knows that Israel plays a prominent role in the end times plan. He knows that his man of the hour, the Antichrist, is going to you know, blaspheme the temple and set himself up as God in the temple and demand that everybody worship him from the temple. Uh, and for some 1,800 years or so, there was no Israel on the map. All of a sudden, people are talking about Israel returning to the homeland. Satan says, wait a minute. This sounds like we're getting close. So he sends out his reconnaissance missions, and all of a sudden we start seeing this upsurge. And it's just gotten more and more prevalent in the decades ever since. And now it's so massive that our own government actually has to create a sixth branch of the military in preparation for what they think are little Martians and aliens and people from other planets. They're going to invade the earth. But no, it's demonic. It's demonic. So there is an unseen realm, to be sure, as this Canadian Satanist, Manly P. Hall, famous for his, the secret teachings of all ages, primarily about the Freemasonry, but he said, quote, there are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. But what about Satan's human accomplices? If we go back to this conspiracy, um, you know, there are human beings that are working uh, with Satan uh, as well. Uh, you know, remember when we read in Job, when Satan went to accuse Job, uh, God asked him, where'd you come from? And Satan says, well, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. The devil sees the earth as his territory. It's his playground. That's why John tells us the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's why King David talks about this conspiracy from the human side of things, the kings of the earth, the rulers that are conspiring together. And what are they saying? They're saying, and by the way, they're conspiring against God, that's Yahweh in all caps, Lord, and His anointed, that's Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. 
They're conspiring against the Godhead. What are they saying? Let us break their bonds in pieces. Let us cast away their cords. See, I don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but Satan has control issues. He does not like to be controlled. He wants control. And so he's using human elements on earth uh, to try to accomplish this. So I go into this in much greater detail in volume one, but just very quickly, I see three broadly speaking layers. At the top level, you've got six or eight families who are literally worshiping Satan and getting their marching orders directly from him. If you don't think that's happening, you're, you're living in denial and you're in, 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 you know, living in a cave. I mean, we know biblically that in the ancient Near East, they were worshiping Satan, sacrificing children, drinking blood. Do we think that in the 4,000 years since then, things have gotten better? Is, does depravity self-improve? Are we better today than we were yesterday? Not according to theology, not according to the Bible. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and impostors will get worse and worse. Depravity is a degenerative disease. So, of course, it's happening today. Of course it's happening today. Read chapter 13 in my, in my uh, second volume, and I've got all kinds of evidence of the satanic ritual abuse that's going on and the fact that there is a certain segment of society, not the, the face of the enemies, not the ones that we all love to talk about, you know, the George Soroses and the you know, Pelosi's and this and that, but the people that you don't really see them, but they're the ones sitting in dark smoke-filled rooms praying to Satan the way you and I pray to Almighty God. And they're getting their marching orders from him. And then at the second level, uh, you've got you know, easily hundreds of thousands of people. By the time you get to the second level, some of them certainly are aware that they are part of a satanic or Luciferian conspiracy, but many of them are not. You know, they're, they're on a need-to-know basis. They may not realize where this is ultimately connected and, and how it all connects. In many cases, you've got just really bad people doing really bad things for other evil motivations, power, money, sex, that kind of thing. But some of them certainly do understand the satanic implications of it. And then, of course, at the bottom tier, you've got millions of people. Uh, these are all kinds of earthly institutions and groups that Satan uh, is using uh, to, you know, to, to bring about what he hopes to, to accomplish, which is a one-world system. Um, now, obviously, at this level, m most of them are not you know, privy to the real top tier what, what's happening. I get people all the time that will say naive things to me in an email like, you know, well, my cousin works at the CIA. Uh, she's a secretary uh, on the third floor, and she's never told me any of this. And I go, well, I'm pretty sure she's probably not read in on the Luciferian conspiracy. Uh, so not everybody that works at these organizations is evil. I mean, there's good God-fearing patriotic Christians, undoubtedly, that work for some of these organizations, but they are all pawns in the game. So I get into this in my uh, two-volume set, Spirit of the Antichrist. I encourage you to check it out. We also have a, a, a video, couple of video sets that deal with these issues. Uh, both the, the, the what in the world is going on is the more recent one, but they both deal at length with these things. So let's talk about some of the human side, the human aspects of this. Let's talk about secret societies. You know, a significant factor when considering Satan's earthly accomplices is the role of secrecy. The power exercised by the Luciferian elite today often emanates from dark, smoke-filled rooms where evil conspiracies are conceived and secret plans are set in motion. Sometimes it's not what is seen that represents the greatest threat, but what is not seen. You know, in war, think about conventional warfare. The enemy must hide his position. He must hide his communications, his movements, his supplies, his weapons, his plans, everything. Well, let's not forget we are in a war. Uh, it's a spiritual war, Ephesians 6. And what we don't know really can 
uh, hurt us. Satan is not omnipotent, neither are his earthly accomplices, and so the power to advance the New World Order agenda flows largely from this double-edged sword of secrecy and deception. What they cannot accomplish by brute force, they will achieve by crafty planning and veiled tactics and secret weapons. Uh, remember how the Luciferian conspiracy started? The Bible tells us the serpent was more crafty. That's the NASB version, Genesis 3.1. Uh, very cunning and wise from a nefarious perspective. Although that word in Hebrew can be used in a positive sense, but the context there is clearly negative. You know, evildoers usually shy away from the light of day. They prefer the cover of darkness. And so I talk uh, about a lot of uh, the different secret societies in the book and give you the history and some of the modern-day relevance of them. Freemasonry, the Illuminati, the Order of Skull and Bones, Round Table, Knights Templar, Opus Dei, the CFR, Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, Bohemian Grove, Rosicrucianism, and many others. But speaking of the Trilateral Commission, just want to highlight a couple of things from them and the CFR. Trilateral Commission, of course, was founded by David Rockefeller. And in 1964, uh, Barry Goldwater uh, had this to say. Barry Goldwater, of course, a uh, U.S. Senator from Arizona and the nominee for president on the Republican side in 1964. He lost in a landslide. It wasn't even close. That was right after the Kennedy assassination. And shockingly, everybody just got behind LBJ. And they just, I think they didn't want change or who, who knows what the what the pulse of the nation was at that point. But I got to tell you, uh, you know, Goldwater's my kind of guy. He said, quote, the Trilateral Commission is intended to be the vehicle for multinational consolidation of the commercial and banking interests by seizing control of the political government of the United States. The Trilateral Commission represents a skillful, coordinated effort to seize control and consolidate the four centers of power, political, monetary, intellectual, and, notice, ecclesiastical. What the Trilateral Commission intends is to create a worldwide economic power superior to the political governments of the nation states involved. As managers and creators of the system, they will rule the future. At his acceptance speech at the 1964 Republican National Convention, he said this very famously, I would remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. And let me remind you also that moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. I think he was paraphrasing the first century B.C. Roman philosopher Cicero. But a pretty powerful statement. I wish we had time to break that down more because, you know, here we are 60 years later and we're seeing believers who should know better being encouraged and, and manipulated into practicing moderation, which there's no virtue in that. Um, and we're being told that if we stand firm uh, in our defense of liberty, that that's, that that's wrong. Now, the Council on Foreign Relations, most of you know about them. Uh, Richard Nathan Haas is uh, the, the director or president of the CFR and has been since 2003, key cog in the Luciferian uh, wheel. Um, and here's a short clip that I want to play that shows Biden, uh, it's only 17 seconds, Biden admitting that he works for Richard. Listen to this. The subject of today is uh, another article in the, uh, in the magazine. Uh, I probably should introduce myself. My name is Richard Haas, by the way. Uh, I work here at the Council on Foreign Relations. 
And I work for Richard. <laughs> oh, I work for Richard. Of course, you never know with Biden whether you know that was a Freudian slip of the tongue or an unwitting admission or just some other bizarre non sequitur. You never know. I'm just, I'm just pleased to see that he man managed to stay seated in the chair without falling out. But uh, anyway, uh, here's a former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, admitting that the CFR tells her what to do. Thank you very much, um, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the council, so this will mean I won't have this far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future. I won't have so far to go for them to tell me how I need to think about the future. This is the Secretary of State of the United States. Now, I always like to remind people I am an equal opportunity offender. I, I do not buy into the, the false left-right paradigm. If you've heard me speak and followed our ministry, you know that's the case. So we picked on a couple of Democrats, but let me remind you that it's, this is not anything to do with party affiliation. So here's a Dick Cheney acknowledging that his Wyoming supporters are not too happy about his association with the CFR. It's good to be back at the Council on Foreign Relations, as uh, Pete mentioned. I've been a member for a long time and was actually a director for some period of time. I never mentioned that when I was campaigning for re-election back home in Wyoming. <laughs> so, uh, you know, these groups, uh, some of them are public groups, but they do things behind the scenes. Some of them are quite secret. In the book, I have a fascinating uh, transcript of both uh, uh, Kerry and Bush W. when they were running uh, for president, uh, who were both skull and bones. By the way, they're cousins, too. How wild is that? I mean, I think we could get more, better than two cousins running against each other for president, but it just shows you how controlled everything is. Um, but anyway, they're both skull and bones from Yale, and they both uh, were on Tim Russert, and he asked him about it. And it's, it's really fascinating. You should read that uh, quote. You can also find the actual YouTube uh, videos of that, those interviews. But they said, yeah, we can't really tell you. We can't tell you what that's all about. Sorry, move on. Next discussion. They made a little joke about it, but they did not answer the question. Uh, British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, uh, late 19th century, he said, the governments of the present day have to deal not merely with other governments, with emperors, kings, and ministers, but also with the secret societies which have everywhere their unscrupulous agents and can at the last moment upset all the government's plans. So let's talk about the new world aspect of uh, this great satanic reset, or as I like to call it, the new world uh, order. Um, you know, order, of course, referring to power, control, their established system. And I've got, I'm going to go through these quickly just for the sake of time, but I've got many more in the book. It's fascinating when you do a study of the history of the term and where it originated. It's not by accident that when they sent over the uh, Europeans to establish this country, they called it the New World because they saw this as a beachhead for the New World Order. Now, 150 years before that, when the pilgrims and the Puritans came over, they came over as God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian men and women who wanted to create a, a beachhead for, for the Lord. 
And they got a 150-year head start, which is why by the time the Freemasons and the Illuminati came over, the Illuminati was founded in 1776, the same year our country was founded. By the time they came over, uh, you know, God had already chosen to have his fingerprints all over this country, and we became a thorn in the side of the Luciferians until the 20, early 20th century, late 1800s, early 1900s, when they decided to bring about the downfall of this country. And I make the case uh, about that uh, historically in in the book, but let's just look at a few of these quotes, and I'm going to go quickly just for the sake of time, but you can check them out uh, elsewhere. So here's uh, March 21st, 2022, Biden. Uh, we'll start modern day. Uh, he says, now, now is a time when things are shifting. There's going to be a new world order out there. He said, uh, in setting an American agenda for a new world order, we must begin with a profound alteration in traditional uh, thought. Here's uh, Australian. Uh, governor, uh, or actually the chief health officer of the uh, state uh, here of New South Wales, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the New World Order. See, they really believed uh, that the, uh, the, the COVID scandemic was going to be a beachhead for launching the New World Order. Now, it, it turned out to be more of an experimental thing, but it certainly told them a lot and paved the way for what's coming next, the next unfreezing event. Here's Forbes magazine talking about COVID and the New World Order. People famously remember George H.W. Bush's State of the Union address in 1991 when he said the world can therefore seize this opportunity, he's talking about the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, to fulfill the long-held promise of a New World Order. Richard Nixon, speaking from China, in 1972, speaking to the president of China at the time, each of us has the hope to build a new world order. Mikhail Gorbachev in 1987 said, we are moving toward a new world order, which he thought was the world of communism. We shall never turn off that path. Here's Henry Kissinger in 1994, the new world order cannot happen without US participation as we are the single most significant component. Yes, there will be a new world order and it will force the United States to change its perceptions. He went on to say, after Obama got elected in 2008 in a CNBC interview, I think his, President Obama's, task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period, which really, when really a new world order can finally be created. Remember Obama, uh, I wish we had time to uh, flesh this out a little bit more, but Obama was really the first true Manchurian candidate, groomed from birth to become president. That's why there's so much mystery surrounding his collegiate record and his birth certificate and those types. He was a Manchurian. Uh, and uh, the, all the Luciferian elite knew that, and they thought, okay, this might be our guy, and maybe we're going to get across the finish line at this time. Uh, but never forget, by the way, uh, and I, I, I just want to throw this out there, that the ultimate arbiter of the timetable is God himself. Amen? So the Luciferians can lay their plans. They have their agenda. And in volume two, I have a whole chapter on the Luciferian timetable where I show you in their own words, going back 100 years, how they've been targeting the 2020s. I mean, uh, Alice Bailey uh, channeled a demon named M uh, Master DK uh, in which in 10,000 pages of writings that were channeled from a demon, she 15 times talks about the year 2025 being the year of the final divine council where Satan's going to take over the world. 100 years ago, that was in the 1930s. Uh, again, just because Satan's planning for this to be his decade doesn't mean it's going to happen. God's in control. God's not willing that any should perish. Maybe God wants to allow things to keep ticking, but it, it, it certainly behooves us to understand the enemy's timetable. 
I mean, you, you want to understand where they're coming from and be prepared. Uh, in that same time frame, when Obama was elected, then Vice President Biden said, the affirmative task before us is to create a new world order. We could go to RFK in 1967, said all of us will ultimately be judged on the effort we have contributed to building a new world order. Arthur Schlesinger, uh, special assistant to JFK, said we are not going to achieve a new world order without paying for it in blood as well as in words and money. Of course, David Rockefeller uh, uh, talks about how we are on the verge of a global transformation. This was at a trilateral commission meeting. All we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. In his memoirs, uh, he died, by the way, in 2017 at the age of 101, but in his memoirs, published shortly before his death, he said, Some believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure, one world, if you will. Well, if that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I'm proud of it. Doesn't even deny it. Uh, he said, uh, the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national autodetermination practiced in last centuries. In other words, in past centuries. In other words, you know, national sovereignty is passe, it's a thing of the past. What we need is a supranational sovereign elite that run things. Uh, Strobe Talbot is uh, the president of the Brookings Institution. Uh, I'm going to talk more about that, I think, in tomorrow's message, what that is, one of those uh, think tanks on Think Tank Row in Washington, D.C., Luciferian-controlled. But he said, in the next century, nations as we know it will be obsolete. All states will recognize a single global authority. He said that to Time magazine in 1992. Go back to World War II. Churchill said, the creation of an authoritative world order is the ultimate aim toward which we must strive. Charles de Gaulle from France, same era, said nations must unite in a world government or Paris. Paris. James Paul Warburg from the famous Warburg dynasty. Remember his father uh, was uh, uh, Paul Warburg, who was one of the men who secretly met on Jekyll Island to found the Federal Reserve System in 1913, a famous bankster. He said, we will have world government whether you like it or not, by conquest or consent. Teddy Roosevelt said, behind the ostensible government sits enthroned an invisible government, owing no allegiance and acknowledging no responsibility to the people. Woodrow Wilson famously said, since I've entered politics, I've chiefly had men's views confided to me privately. Some of the biggest men in the United States are afraid of something. They know that there's a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. Former Supreme Court Justice Frankfurter said the real rulers in Washington are invisible and exercise power from behind the scenes. Brzezinski also died the same year uh, Rockefeller did, 2017. And uh, uh, he, he, man, I wish we had time to talk more about him. I go into much more detail in the book, but he said uh, that the regionalization is in keeping with the trilateral plan, talking about the trilateral commission plan, which calls for a gradual convergence of East and West, ultimately leading toward the goal of a one world government. National sovereignty is no longer a viable concept. He said, we need a more controlled society, unrestrained by traditional values. And he's talking there about liberty. Uh, he says, soon it's going to be possible, by the way, he said this in 1970, soon it's going to be possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen. 
and maintain up-to-date complete files containing even the most personal information about the citizen, and those files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by authorities. It sounds a lot like the fusion centers and the big data centers, and like the one in Sandy, Utah, where everyone has a bit bucket. Even Clinton said, there is a government inside the government, and I don't control it. Uh, Henry Kissinger, America would be outraged if UN troops entered Los Angeles to restore order, but tomorrow they will be grateful. All we need is some real or promulgated threat uh, to justify, you know, which is the Hegelian dialectic, by the way. I have a chapter on that in the book. All we need is some you know, threat that causes people to beg for us to save them from the boogeyman, and they'll throw down their, their rights. Uh, he says, it is then that all the peoples of the world will plead to deliver them from this evil. Uh, when they're presented with this scenario, individual rights will be willingly relinquished, right? Uh, for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them by the world government. Well, speaking of that, and I know I'm just, I want to allow time for questions, so let me finish with this section. Biometric surveillance. This is where this is heading, is full-spectrum planetary control. Remember, Revelation 13 reminds us that the false prophet, uh, the Antichrist sidekick, is going to be presiding over a system where no one can buy or sell without the government's approval completely controlling the transactional monetary system. Well, what are we seeing? We're already seeing signs of this. Uh, this is just from this week in Europe, a sign at a bank looking to withdraw cash. Well, our primary aim is to keep customers safe and secure, and our branches follow our processes carefully to achieve this. This will include asking you questions about the purpose of your cash withdrawal. We may also ask for supporting documentation such as an invoice. You think it's your money? You think you can just uh, take it anytime you want? No, we want to make sure what you're going to be using it for. Please note that it is advisable to give 24 hours notice on large cash withdrawals, over 2,000 uh, euros there. Um, in some instances, we may choose to decline. Now, this is not just, uh, you know, uh, a European thing. In Canada, uh, for at least a few years, even predating COVID, the, the, the big four banks have been routinely asking you why you're taking out cash. I've had it happen to me in America. Um, here's an article from just May 20th, less than a week ago. The probability that U.S. banks will restrict cash withdrawals is rising like mercury, says one expert. Or here's an article from earlier this month, May 6th. How much cash can you withdraw from your bank? Um, all of it? I mean, it's my cash, right? That, that's kind of what I'd like to think. Whose cash is it? Anyway, now I mentioned Yuval Noah Harari. I'll have a lot more to say about him uh, tomorrow uh, morning. A, a very lovely Satan worshiper, um, and we, we want to make sure we understand really what role he is playing in the rollout of this great uh, satanic reset. But here's a short clip, about two minutes, of him talking about total biometric surveillance. COVID is critical because... This is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we've seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase, is the surveillance going under our skin? We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries 
which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet. Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Yeah, just fake news. Yeah, and it gets worse. I got a whole lot more that I want to talk about him next time. So let me just wrap up before we take questions with the, the role of uh, digital currency, uh, central bank digital currencies. This is a big part of their federal, I mean, of their full spectrum planetary control. By the way, it's not about the central bank digital currency. It's about the global digital ID that will undergird that. But everybody probably by now knows that come July, and by the way, I have sources that have told me that it's been set up long before now. They're just rolling it out in July. They talked about how they're getting it ready, and by July it'll be ready. It's already ready. The Fed now is the conduit, sort of the infrastructure, the behind-the-scenes computer network that's going to make instant transactions possible. You know, if you're going to control people, where they travel, what borders they can cross, how far they can travel from their home, you know, the whole idea of 15-minute smart cities, you got to have instant transactional ability. Right now, even if you use a wire transfer or an EFT, it could take you know, in the best case, a couple hours, you know, if you've ever bought a home, you've often found yourself waiting at the closing table for funds to, to show up in your account, either as, as the seller or the buyer. With FedNow, it'll be instantaneous, instantaneous in, in every conceivable uh, transaction. Um, so that's what they're uh, rolling out. This is from the Federal Reserve's own uh, website. Um, Pippa Malmgren at the 2022 World Government Summit uh, had this to say. She said, I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money. This means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens, which will give us far greater clarity. I'm, I'm transcribing what she said, but I think she mispronounced control. <laughs> when they talk about clarity, they mean control over what's uh, going on. So it, it truly is a tool of total enslavement, a cashless society, digital transaction system, uh, the technocracy, programmable money. They want to have everything tokenized. So your, your carbon footprint, your medical status, your social credit score. That's why they rolled out all of the social media, you know, a couple decades ago to kind of get people conditioned and prepared for that. President Biden uh, issued uh, this uh, executive order in which he required all of the different, uh, uh, you know, organ uh, different federal agencies. Uh, this was March 9th, 2022, uh, to issue their reports on CBDCs. This, they, and they had six months to do it. 
the prevailing opinion when they all issued their reports was the complete re-engineering of the financial and payment systems. The World Economic Forum has clearly talked about how CBDCs have, must be combined. This is from October 14, 2022, in an actual streamed uh, conference that I watched. So I, I took these notes. Uh, uh, Cecilia Skingsley said, they've got to be combined in a package with global digital IDs. We've got to push people to new equilibriums. And uh, uh, Bo Lee, the Deputy Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund, said CBDCs can allow agencies to program, create smart contracts, have targeted policies, functions. By, program by programming these CBDCs, uh, we can be targeted for what kind of people can own and what kind of us this money will be utilized for. Uh, he actually suggested following the model of the Chinese Communist Party uh, in order uh, to do this. So, uh, you know, this is uh, a 14-second clip uh, coming soon to a digital ID near you. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So, individual carbon footprint tracker. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Yeah, they've got it operational. It's just a matter of when they decide to push it out there. That was Michael Evans, by the way, president of the Alibaba Group, a Chinese multinational technology company. All right, so uh, let me just give you the good news here. So much more that I had hoped to get to, but I, I, I took too many rabbit trails. But the question is, are you uh, prepared? Are you prepared? You know, a prudent man foresees difficulties ahead and prepares for them. Uh, Proverbs 21 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. There is not any tension between trusting in the Lord and His uh, preservation versus preparing. The Bible teaches both. When it comes to the digital ID, I like to remind people, if you can't touch it, you don't own it. Uh, so some suggestions would be, make a plan now, because they're going to really, just like they did with the gene editing bioinjections, they're going to start with the carrot, and then they're going to move quickly to the stick, and they're going to make you have to make tough decisions about your job, about, you know, a lot of other things. So uh, make a plan now. Liquidate as much of your digital portfolio as possible. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not giving you financial advice. I'm just suggesting some things that we've contemplated as we see this coming down the pike. Buy tangible commodities that you can physically hold. If you don't touch it, you don't own it. Develop a community support system. Be willing to trade service for service. You can fix a car. Maybe your neighbor can fix your air conditioner or your furnace. Uh, prep, become self-sufficient and stockpile supplies. Um, I go into these in my What in the World's Going On DVD series. So I want to close with this. Same entity, same solution that we've always had. And step number one is to make sure you're on the right team. Make sure you know the Lord as your personal Savior. I don't want to presume for a second that everyone in this room, who knows why you're here, maybe your friend dragged you here to be around a bunch of Christians that talk about the Bible and the Lord and His return. I don't know why you're here, but I know this. Jesus, or John the Baptist here speaking, says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sin? That's the only hope. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. Have you trusted in Christ? And as believers, if you have trusted in Christ, remember the words of 1 John 4, test the spirits, test the spirits. My next book is Spirit of the False Prophet, hopefully out by October. 
in which I'm going to talk about the biblical role of the future false prophet in the end times. But remember, in the very next verse, after we're told the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work among us, John reminds us, greater is he who is in you than he uh, who is in the world. So again, you can check out these uh, Spirit of the Antichrist books or the DVD sets. We also have a prophecy streaming bundle that includes several other prophecy-related uh, books and themes, as well as my eschatology textbook uh, and chart book. And then please come out tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I know it's early, and listen, I like to sleep as much as the rest of you, but you can sleep during my message, you know. <laughs> if you don't like it, just ask my church members back home. It's a good time to take a nap. But 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm going to talk about transhumanism, creating God in the image of man. So let's, we got about 10 minutes here for questions. It's it's okay with me. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I've never seen your pajamas, but uh. thank you so much for giving uh, that uh, great message, JB. Let's have another hand for him while we do. Uh, we need two microphones running. Andrew over here is going to do one, and Doug Popejoy, we're ready. It's all yours. Okay. I don't need it, but I can give it to one of your runners here. So who's got a question? Oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, up front row. Oh, boy. I don't, I don't see that hand. <laughs> if one were to invest in gold and silver, aren't they going to manipulate the price of gold and silver? Yeah, so the, I would not consider gold or silver as an investment. I would consider it as preparedness. So you need to hold physical metals, but as a means of bartering and a means of exchange. It's not about an investment. They absolutely manipulated. It's been as high, silver's been as high as 49, and an ounce down to, I haven't checked it today, but I think it's around 23, 24 an ounce. So, you know, it's not about the investment. It's about hedging your protection because if, if all of your portfolio is in dashes and dots on a computer screen, it can go away like that. So, again, I'm not a financial advisor, but yeah, they absolutely do manipulate it, but, you know, what they don't know can't hurt you. So, you know, what you have that you can walk into another room and open a safe and pull out and hold your hand, in your hand, it's, it's going to be a long, t in my opinion, it's going to be a long time before you know, military is going door by door and confiscating gold. I just don't think we have the manpower for that. So, yes. So you say that all of these people are for the new world order. All these people, but then, which I agree with you, it's all like I don't believe in the red balloon paradigm. But um, how do I say this? But they act like they are against each other. But they're all Yeah. It's it's several things. First of all, it is in many cases good theater, and I've talked to people you know in in the inside that'll talk about on air on Fox News. They're going at each other like they hate each other. They cut to break, and behind the scenes they're high fiving and saying good one. Now next time you say this, and I'll say this, and that that's a great one. It's all for show. It's theater. It's like a, a world wrestling fat match, you know. Uh, or, or a Don King fight. It doesn't matter who wins, Don King gets richer, you know. So, uh, but I think also part of it is you've got people involved in this who really do believe what they're saying. Uh, 
you know, they really believe in their principles, uh, but they, it's called controlled opposition. It's, it's the Hegelian dialectic that I talk about in volume one. I mean, they've been using that for, you know, ever. And it's, uh, you know, they, they give us just enough to satisfy us, to make us feel like we have a voice. And I, I believe in many cases that people arguing those perspectives really believe it, but they just don't understand they're a pawn in the game. Somebody else? All right here? Oh, sorry, I didn't see you. Yes. Yeah. Now, where do you uh, convert gold and silver locally? Well, I'm not from Oklahoma, but I can, I've got some people, two companies that I've used that are Christian-owned that I recommend highly. One's out of Colorado, one's out of Georgia. Uh, and both of them have a standing policy that, it, well, the one in Colorado for sure, I'm not sure if the one in Georgia was just something he did for me personally, but the one in uh, Colorado will always buy back your gold or silver from you at spot price that you know, at the time you're ready to sell it back. So you never have to worry about it if you need to. But your local bank will not. Most banks, you're not, you can't walk in. Ever since 1971, you can't walk in with gold and say, give me the equivalent in, in Federal Reserve notes. It just doesn't work that way. So you have to have a precious metals dealer, someone that you can buy from. But don't buy certificates. And again, I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, but, uh, you know, don't buy certificates. Buy the, the physical gold. And there are plenty of places that you, that you can do that. Absolutely, you do that. I mean, that's the reason we're here. As a church, we're here to spread the gospel, and that's what Not By Works is here for, the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. Uh, it's really a, a bigger question than I have time to flesh out here, but what I would say is, honestly, you know, I think, could the Spirit of God bring revival? Someone, I think, mentioned that earlier today. Uh, could the Spirit of God bring revival for a season? Absolutely. We don't have the timetable of the Lord. Only He knows that. But at the same time, we do know theologically that things are getting worse and worse. That's a principle. In 67 AD, Paul said things are getting worse and worse. That's been 2,000 years, so imagine how bad they are today. Uh, we know that there's going to be a great end times apostasy, First Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4. So I think the time now is to, you're certainly not going to change things at the ballot box. I've been saying that for 15 years. I was talking about dominion 15 years ago when nobody knew what it was. So, you know, it's rigged. The 2020 was not the first rigged election. 2016 was rigged. 2012 was rigged. 2008, it's been rigged for decades. 
Ever since they went to digital vote tabulation, they're rigged. It's not an election, it's a selection. So if we think we can somehow change the world at the ballot box, we're, we've, we've already lost the battle. Uh, now, secondly, I think the time has come to focus on your family, on your personal well-being, on preparedness, and saying, you know, what if? Because again, if the Lord tarries is coming, has it ever con con you know, occurred to anybody in this room that we might be raptured as Chinese citizens? You know, we have this naive view of American exceptionalism where we see everything through the lens of America, which is 247 years old worth of 6,000 years of human history. I mean, we don't know if America's going to still be around much longer. It's, I believe it's been on life support for, at least economically, for decades. All they're just waiting to do is pull the plug and call time of death. And they'll do that when they're ready to collapse this country. In the book, I explain how the Luciferian agenda has been explicitly stated to bring down America. America's the one nation still standing in the way of the one world government because of our rich history of the fingerprints of God being on this country. And they cannot accomplish what they want to do globally with us in the way. So they're going to bring us down. Only question is, does the rapture happen before or after that? We, we don't know. So I think it's, there's a lot into that question, but that's a few things that, that come to my mind. But by the way, when your senator, was it a senator that you called? Or, uh, uh, a U.S. Senator? Yeah. When she said Trump went there, I would have said, you think that helps? You think that makes me think even more highly? <laughs> now I'm even more troubled at your association. Yes. Somebody else, right? <laughs> One more, but then I'll be glad to hang out at the table and you can come ask me. Yeah, well, yeah, we said that in, in, tonight, in today's presentation, Ephesians 6. It's a spiritual battle. It starts with understanding that it's a spiritual battle and, and uh, recognizing that. And uh, so, yeah. Well, thank you guys very much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Really looking forward to tomorrow morning. <laughs>